0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome to Purple Daily on Score North. AM 1500, live.scorenorth.com, the Score North app everywhere. You can imagine it's streaming on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, a rare vacation for Matthew Collar. Uh, I, I believe he's probably sitting at home watching NFL Films videos, to be honest. It, it's a quote-unquote vacation. But I'm Sam Ekstrom, filling in for Matthew Collar today. You can find me at Sam Ekstrom. I am a Vikings beat writer for zonecoverage.com. I've been doing so since twenty. 14. Check out that website, zonecoverage.com as well for more than just Vikings content, but twins, uh Timberwolves. I know there will be content on the Josh Donaldson press conference, which you just heard. Uh congrats to Josh Donaldson signing for what I'd like to call half a Mauer. Four years ninety-two, exactly half of the Joe Mauer deal. But um we get into Vikings talk for the next ninety minutes. We're gonna pack a lot in. And for those of you that like nostalgia And I I love nostalgia. And you know like how people clamor for reunion shows like on Friends or Reunion of the Office. Uh, Right now, for the eight of you listening that had a connection to the Lockdown Vikings podcast, 2016-2017 with with myself and Sage Rosenfels, this is a nostalgic moment for you. Reunited with Sage Rosenfels, the, the journeyman quarterback, the former Vikings quarterback. He's on with us right now. Sage, it's good to be back with you, my friend.
2: Yeah, it's great to be back together, and it looks like Collar. There's a good chance it's a basement vacation. That's what I would probably think that Matthew Collar does uh, (laughs) for his time off, just goes in the basement, and and that he cannot get enough film and film study and stat study, and the guy is just a sports junkie, and not just the NFL, not just football. That guy really, really does love you know that doesn't just sort of go off the headlines and make his opinions he really does like watching the games and and getting into the details and uh, uh but it's nice to have you on it we worked for two years together we did on, over on, 200
0: a, shows i think
2: on a podcast that was you were five days a week that's impressive i was more of a monday wednesday friday uh from what i recall but yeah for two years didn't get paid very much but uh that was uh, we had a great time and and that was my, really my first time really diving into, you know, the Vikings on a daily sort of weekly basis of, you know, it's, it's 12 months a year. It doesn't really stop. And that was the first time I ever really did that.
0: Yeah, that was a good time. Fond memories for sure. And, and you know what we're not going to talk about for the next half hour, Sage? We're not going to talk about the 10-year anniversary that, that you have coming up because you've, you've talked about it so much uh, this year. And for the last 10 years, it's the infamous play. With Brett Favre and the New Orleans Saints on Friday, we're not—we're just not going to talk about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's... springs to his right, throws back across the Uh-oh. middle, and he's intercepted. Porter.
0: <laughs> oh, Jonathan, just breaking hearts over here. I want people to like me as the guest host, so we're not going to talk about it.
2: Well, you know, here's the deal: is is you know, in particular since the Vikings played the Saints this year down in New Orleans and and got that big win, but. You know, that's one of those games, and, you know, there's a lot of great NFL games, but there's certain games that people look back on, and it's like like everybody remembers where they were. You know, even if they weren't a huge NFL fan, people still remember that game. If you just say the Bounty Gate game, they know what you're talking about, and obviously the interception at the very end. And, you know, that that game ended up beginning uh, my, I guess, quote-unquote, career, As a media person, I ended up writing an article about that game, ended up in Sports Illustrated, and, uh, and and off we go. So that was a, an unbelievable football game. It was really great that the Vikings went down there and, and uh, knocked off the Saints. I, I think the Saints uh, had a legit shot in the NFC uh, you know this season. I think it was really up for you know four four uh, or even five teams the NFC had a chance I think to, to come out on top and, and it was great that the Vikings got that knockoff uh, knocked off the Saints this year.
0: And I would encourage people to go back and read your story about that game if they haven't ever done it before. It's a good look back from from someone's perspective who was there and who talked to Brett Favre that day. But, but we'll move on. I've got a list here full of Vikings off-season concerns. But really quickly, I want to ask you about the Senior Bowl because that's happening this week down in Mobile, Alabama. That's something that you took part in uh, in your pre-draft process. You know wh- What are those prospects going through this week in Mobile? Obviously, it's a lot of X's and O's. They're having a chance to physically try out, but also a chance to interview with a lot of these teams. What is that experience like and how much value is there in it?
2: Well, it's interesting. A couple of things. Uh, I guess that was 2001, so it's been you know 19 years or something since I played in that Senior Bowl. Uh, and, and this year I actually trained a kid named Anthony Gordon, who's a, the Washington State quarterback from the Mike Leach, you know, air raid style of offense. I went and worked with him in Colorado for about five days and, you know, talk about a guy who's, you know, he has not been under center since his sophomore year in high school. Uh, there are plays in that offense where, like, three letters, like A96, like that was their one of their more common plays they ran. Like, you just don't get plays like that in the NFL. You have it's right. more complex. You have motions. You have protections all over the place and route combinations and, and all these tags. And they're just these these very wordy plays. And they kept it really simple in that air raid. And, you know, he would never really worked on timing, never really, again, never worked under center play action, any of those things. And so uh, it was really interesting starting from scratch from him and then also preparing him from a – Mental standpoint, uh, as he went to Daryl Bevel as his coach this week, and of course I played for Bevel when he was the Vikings' coordinator. So then to teach him the basics of the West Coast offense, you know, formations and personnel groups and protections, and teach him all that stuff, it was a a crash course for those five days, and and I'm hoping that helped him out. He, he's a he's a smaller guy, only about 200 pounds. Uh, he sort of has a Drew Brees style to him in a sense that he's smaller but he's got a really really quick release and he's very accurate so you know it's interesting i've been following the senior bowl this year more than i really have in the last uh you know a few years uh you know being out of the out of the game or whatever so you know looking back you know, you get in they the all the teams are have people there so everyone is constantly trying to grab you um, sort of like the, a pre combine in a sense, and trying to get, hey, can you come in for a quick interview with our quarterbacks coach? Can you do this? Can you do that? And you're sort of busy from, you know, seven a.m. or six thirty in the morning, all the way until you know ten o'clock at night. It seemed like you just don't really have any time. It's almost like an extra combine for those players that are playing in it, uh, and obviously the coaches that are there, uh, that are coaching, they really get, a, you, you know, it's for them, it's way better. Than the combine because they actually get real hands-on stuff of actually teaching these guys things in the classroom then going out and seeing how they uh remember and then obviously you know try to try to do those things that they just had talked about in the film sessions and and then the installation of things in in the meeting rooms and so uh it it was a great experience the weather when i was there was terrible i'm so it rained every you know there's really I would say three outdoor practices, right? You have these three practices during the week, all the scouts and, and, and coaches and it's a, also it's basically the NFL coaches convention for the most part, a lot of people hiring and firing right now, and people trying to trying to get jobs people in college trying to get NFL jobs, maybe it turns into this big coaches convention, but um, it, it, it was uh, it, it's a busy time. It, it's a very busy time and, and uh, I have very fond memories of it, but the weather was terrible when I was there, and luckily, it wasn't on TV. That's the best part. Not just the game was on TV. Now I think all the practices... All the drills, you know, all this stuff is on TV, and and these guys are really sort of micromanaged, and and uh, that's not always easy to be in front of a national TV audience. In a sense, uh, but you're you're literally just learning the playbook. You've never thrown an out route with timing to that wide receiver. It's really easy to look bad for a quarterback, and and uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping Anthony Gore. And it sounds like he had a pretty good day yesterday, but I'm hoping uh, th- that work we put in will pay off uh, this week.
0: You're wondering what Matthew Collar's doing on his staycation. He's probably watching all 22 of the Senior Bowl practices.
2: That, yeah, that's there's, a good that's a, there's a chance. There's a decent chance of that. You know, it's uh, the guy. The guy loves the game, and uh, and I appreciate that. And we see the game. You know, you, you know, as a media person, sometimes you don't know the details of like the. Uh, you know, coverages and blitzes and fronts and all these things, but, you know, stats and, and all the information now that you can get your hands on, you know, that's where he really, you know, feels very comfortable. So when he and I work together uh, on this show on Mondays and Wednesdays, I think it's a really nice fit because a lot of times he confirms statistically what I just see, uh, you know, from from my naked eye.
0: I've got one big picture sort of league-wide question I want to hit you with, and then we'll we'll narrow our focus more into Vikings. But, you know, one of the coaches at the Senior Bowl – is Zach Taylor, you know the Bengals' coach, second year on the job, coming up in twenty twenty, and obviously he fits the bill of sort of the trendy coaching hire these days. You've got Zach Taylor, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt Nagy, Matt Lafleur, now Kevin Stefanski, all of these young, offensive-minded head coaches that that maybe didn't even play in the NFL or had a very brief NFL career or semi-pro career. Where are we headed, Sage, with NFL? Head coaches, are are we getting to a place where all of the new hires are going to be offensive minded, where they can sort of control the the offense and have a say in the quarterback? Is the defensive minded head coach phasing out of the NFL?
2: You know, that's a really good question. I don't think so, but but I understand why people, you know, want to go with the offense, being that the quarterback has such an important position and, and generally. You know people go from you know some sort of position, you know quality control, usually up to a, some sort of position position coach. But then you try to work your way to the quarterback room and be the quarterback's coach because you really have to sort of know everything when you're in that room. You have to understand blocking schemes in the running game. You have to understand blocking schemes with protections and obviously coverages and blitzes and all those types of things. So you really have to have this very well-rounded knowledge of both offense and defense. You know, other than quarterbacks, I, I would say tight ends actually are the other position that you have to know the whole game. I mean, the offensive line, they really focus on, obviously, the fronts and the linebackers and the blitzes and, and things like that, but not as detailed And obviously, the coverages. That's always the, their big challenge when they get out of the game and trying to get in the media is they don't necessarily understand the details of coverages. Receivers and things like that, they understand a lot of times the coverages but really have no idea what's going on. With the offensive line and how they block things and, and those types of details, and so tight ends, but also quarterbacks and so you go from quarterbacks to to coordinator, uh, and then a lot of times these you know, into head coaches. I like the fact that that owners are going with younger coaches rather than doing sort of the retreads and i know ron rivera got a job again but and i think he's a quality coach but mm-hmm. you know uh, the guys that have had two or three shots already uh, i like the fact that uh, they're you know giving a young guy a try and you know if it doesn't work out you have, you move on to somebody else but if you get the right one you might have the right one for you know two decades or something, rather than hiring an older coach. You know Vic Fangio, he's an older coach. You just know he's not going to be the Broncos' coach for the next ten or fifteen years. Maybe he can be good for the next you know six years or something like that. But that's why I think one of the reasons they're going for younger coaches, offensive minds. And you know there, there was a joke last year about, man, look at all these people getting jobs who once had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay. <laughs> and it's actually it wasn't Sean Murphy it's actually Kyle Shanahan he's actually you know it's 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 Mike Shanahan and then and Kubiak worked for 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 Mike and then Kyle worked for Kubiak but Kyle really took this this offense that the Vikings ran this year and really brought it to a a, a whole another level but then he hired all these coaches, Sean McVay and one of them, and and then uh, and, you know, Matt Lafleur. He was in Houston when I was there, uh, and then you know obviously Sean uh, you know was there in, in, in D.C. But you know Zach Taylor. But these guys are all sort of from that tree. But in my opinion, it really more starts with Kyle. And, you know, you would think that these guys wouldn't have success, but really, for the most part, you know, they have. Sean's was in the Super Bowl last year. Kyle's in the Super Bowl this year. Matt LaFleur, first year in the NFC Championship game. Obviously, Zach Taylor struggled, but it's the Bengals. So it's sort of like when, with an asterisk, like, you know, you put Kyle Shanahan on the Bengals, he may not win very many <laughs> games either. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of these guys have had. Really good success running, you know, whatever this style of offense is. And and it was interesting watching, you know, so many Vikings games this year and then watching that championship game the other day with the 49ers and how much Kyle has evolved uh, his offense and added so many more pieces to it that are a little bit more complex than what Minnesota was running this season.
0: Sage Rosenfels and Sam Ekstrom here on Score North, Purple Daily Last 10 minutes of this segment, Sage, I want to talk Vikings off-season concerns. And I'll bring this one up first because Rapsheet, Ian Rappaport, is already reporting that the Vikings will be exploring an extension with Dalvin Cook. I think we all expected these discussions to happen, whether they come to fruition, whether they strike a deal. That's yet to be seen. And, and I've got my reservations, I think, j- independently with why extending a running back at all might be sort of a suspicious idea. But um, here's why I don't want the Vikings to necessarily commit long-term to Dalvin yet. It's because unless they've decided on what they're going to do with the quarterback long-term, I I don't think the Vikings want to be running back rich and quarterback poor. Because if you look at some of the franchises in the league, right? Christian McCaffrey, for instance, unbelievable running back. He's an all-pro you know, as a pass catcher and a running back. They didn't really have a, a solidified quarterback situation this year, and how far did it get them? Saquon Barkley with Daniel Jones in New York, how far did that get them? Um, I look at, you know, Le'Veon Bell with the Jets, another example. I look at franchises. Zeke
2: Elliott, they didn't make the playoffs this year. Exactly. Uh, Todd, Todd Gurley, you know, that whole thing, and, and the Rams is about, I think, about to fall apart. I see one of those teams um, that, you know, I, don't, I think they'll be good. I think they have good coaching and stuff, and they have a lot of good players, but. You know, they've given up all these draft picks, they've given up like three first rounders in the last two years for various players. I see them as a team that may struggle, you know, in the future. So that, that yeah, you know, Todd Gurley obviously his body's his knee, I think it is is a problem. So that's the issue with the running backs is it seems like about when you really want to pay them, there's the, you know, some of that tread has been worn off and then next you know, you're stuck in a bad deal and not making the playoffs and, and overpaying for a position that you might be getting a thousand yards out of.
0: Well, you mentioned the Rams, too. That's a team that paid the quarterback and the running back. Big contracts. And obviously, Jared Goff regressed. Todd Gurley had a pretty lousy year. They didn't make the playoffs. And there's not many teams that have sort of survived that. You know, San Francisco is actually paying their running backs a ton of money. But look at where most of that money's going to. Jarek McKinnon. Who hasn't played for two years, and, and they're going to have to pay George Kittle here with, with the money they have left. Uh, I bet they wish they had that McKinnon money back. You look at the Jaguars, they paid Fournette and Foles, and I think they picked the wrong quarterback to pay, but it, it didn't really work out well for them. I, there's
2: a long history in this you know, zone scheme, outside zone scheme, of making you know, sort of no name people into 1,000, 1,200, 1,300 yard backs, right? I mean, that's where I – that's, to me, where the, the question is. You know, Dalvin Cook, what he did this year was phenomenal, but how many yards would have, uh, you know, the number two guy gotten, right? I mean, that that's the thing about San Francisco. Yeah. Is McKinnon got hurt, but they have all these other running backs that are super fast. And, you know, the, the guy they have – is it Mostert? Is that how you say his name? Right. Mostert? Um, you know, this is like his sixth NFL team or something like that. And, and so – you know, and, and again, you know, going back to the Alex Gibbs Denver Broncos, Orlandis Gary, who you know that guy ran for a thousand yards. Mike Anderson, who like that guy ran for a thousand yards too. They had sort of one after another. It was more sort of about the system, uh, you know, than the actual back itself. Now, listen, Dalvin Cook is, a, I think, he's a phenomenal running back, but he does get hurt. He seems to miss some games every single season. You know, that guy's had a million carries in his life. You know, I always think about with running backs. Think about Dalvin Cook, All right, guys from Florida. Think of how many carries he had when he was six years old. All right, He's mm-hmm. probably the best player on his Pop Warner team. Think of how many carries he had when he was 11 years old and 14 years old and then high school and then at Florida State. When you're always the best player like that, you just get uh, you know a million carries your entire life, and those just sort of add up. And then you get the NFL, and then you hit about twenty-eight years old, and your body's like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and this thing starts to hurt, and this thing happens, and the next thing you know, pull a hamstring because of a, a really a hip issue, and then you know. But they've gotten these big contracts, and you're not sure what to do with them. So that is the scary part about pay- paying a guy like David Cook, but who has earned it like in every single way. But the question is, can the Vikings afford it? and will actually help them win a lot of football games going forward.
0: And it really is a shame for the Vikings that they weren't able to capitalize on peak Dalvin in his rookie year and his second year because of injuries. I mean, if you had had sort of three years of this guy, you'd have a better idea, I think, of, of what the baseline is for Dalvin Cook. You still don't know. I mean, was this season of relatively good health an anomaly? Or is he going to break down again in the future, especially if you sign him to a five-year deal? What's he going to look like in year three, four, and five of that deal as he gets closer to age 30? I know he's still fairly young, which gives the team maybe reason to explore an extension. But I think if you're determined to pay one of them, I still think it's more palatable to pay Cousins as long as it's it's a reasonably short deal just because I think he, he offers you sort of a, a baseline of success that you can count on and then you can build around that, whereas you can have the best back in the league, i.e. Christian McCaffrey, and that guarantees you nothing, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, you know, Collar and I, we've been discussing a little bit, you know, what do the Vikings do – with the quarterback situation. And we were talking about these two teams that are currently in the Super Bowl. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo with this unbelievable team around him, probably the best defense in the league. Obviously this great Russian attack. He threw whatever it was, eight passes the other day. But he has this clutch thing, which is great. He, I think there was something like four fourth-quarter sort of game-winning drives he had this year. I mean, he's not asked to do a ton a lot of times, but when he needs to, he has stepped up to the plate. Then on the other side, you have you know, what I would consider almost like a young Michael Jordan of the quarterback position, and the guy is just incredible. Well, Kirk hasn't necessarily been either one of those, right? I mean, if anything, he's in that more Garoppolo world where he's sort of the game manager And try to make the plays when you have to, but he hasn't been all that clutch going, you know, so so far in his career. He was in that playoff game. That was a big step for him, but he definitely isn't, you know, Pat Mahomes. And so the question is can you have a guy who's just sort of a game manager and not super clutch when it really matters? Do you want that guy being your quarterback for the next three or four or five years? Because how far can you really get? With sort of a, a non clutch quarterback who's not super super talented from a you know a, 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 you know a, a play standpoint in the sense of like making mm-hmm. it happen when the when the offensive line breaks down right and that's what we we're seeing out of all these really good young quarterbacks is people extending plays which is then you know adding sort of another element uh, to the position and Kirk really can't do that. And so the question is, what is his value when really he can mostly just execute? He is an execution quarterback, and anything but that is is definitely not his strength.
0: Yeah, yeah, I hear you, and it also looks much different, you know, without Roethlisberger, Brady, and Breeze going deep into the playoffs, and instead. Watching Watson, Mahomes, and Jackson, you can tell the difference pretty starkly between the statuesque cousins and those mobile guys. And I want to go ahead. And
2: Garoppolo can move around, by the way. That's the thing with him is he does have great feet. He's got great pocket movement. He doesn't need very much space uh, to throw, and he's got a very, very quick release. And so, even if you sort of compare the two, you know, Garoppolo definitely does some things that, that Kirk doesn't do all that well.
0: A couple minutes on this other concern I have going into the Vikings offseason. I'm concerned that Mike Zimmer, being who he is, being a defensive mind, he loves continuity on the defensive side of the ball. I'm concerned that that sort of thinking might cloud the Vikings offseason judgment, that they might sacrifice on the offense to keep members of that defense intact, Against sort of their better judgment, uh, maybe sacrificing against the salary cap, or letting Riley Reef go so they can find money for for Linval Joseph. Those type of things that that would sort of keep the gang together on defense, which I think could use a freshen a freshener. I think you need a little bit of new blood on that defense with Xavier Rhodes, uh, maybe with with a, a cheaper nose tackle as good as Linval Joseph has been. I don't. Well,
2: here's a, here's what's really interesting. If you grade it out again, this is you know PFF and all those things. You're you're talking about. You know, some former coach or whatever grading. You know, ever you know these these different players. Linville graded out as the thirtieth of the thirty-two starting nose tackles in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He did not grade out very high, and he's making a salary uh, at ten plus, maybe up to twelve, I think, million dollars for next year. So I really see the Vikings as that's a spot they'll say if you're going to have a high salary, you have to have high production, and he simply didn't have it. Xavier Rhodes. I saw a stat that there's 132 quarterbacks with 100 snaps this year, cornerbacks with 100 uh, snaps this year. He grayed out as 125th of 132, yet, of course, somehow still made the Pro Bowl. Again, also a guy with the highest salary. I can definitely see those two players not being back with the Minnesota Vikings next year. Uh, And I see... And uh, in 2019, where they drafted a ton of guys on offense—center, running back, tight end, a receiver—they draft a lot of guys on offense. I can see 2020 being a draft where they really go strong defense, and and if they hit like they hit on the offense. I think this team can be back in the hunt next year but they really do uh, I think need to get some help on that a little bit aging defense also it's aging and expensive and I think they're they're going to use some draft capital uh, and, and maybe save some of that salary cap money with those big salaries and maybe use that on some possible free agents as well.
0: I think you lay it out clearly and, and I think of the, the three on defense the big ones you got Griffin you got Rhodes and you got Joseph who I think are all on the hot seat. I think if I were to keep one restructure one and cut one here's what i would do i would cut roads i would restructure griffin because he's wildly expensive although i don't know i might restructure joseph too because as you mentioned he probably is bringing a lower level play you know what i'm gonna change my mind i'm restructuring (laughs) i'm restructuring joseph i'll find money for griffin um but gosh he costs a lot you know you almost have to let two go I mean, you almost have to let two of those three oh, yeah. go. Maybe there's all nothing three.
2: Wrong with that? That's the way it goes. You know, I. You know, Kyle Rudolph made maybe the biggest catch of the year uh, in that overtime to win it. But you know, he's pretty expensive too, and and you know, you don't know where the, the team is going to go with him. You know, this is if you are going to have a run based offense, you better have great, great blockers. You know, up front, and you know who knows what this team does. But the Vikings have had one heck of a run. I mean, you know, in, the, in this, this Mike Zimmer era, year, six seasons, they've had a lot of players stay. But at some point, there is always a season where you have to sort of start cutting back and, and hope that young players fill in. And sometimes the season doesn't go all that well. You win six games and you go, well, You know, hopefully next year we can sort of rebuild this thing through the draft and and it will be better. But uh, to keep this thing at sort of a fairly high level, NFC Championship game that down year last year where they went 8-7-1 and they get back to the second round this year, it's hard to keep that 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 sort of high level of play, especially when you 're getting the twenty fifth pick in the draft, the twenty eighth pick in the draft that whatever it was these last when you never get a top ten pick it's hard to get elite players and, and, and Spielman and the crew have done a really good job of mm-hmm. finding these guys. They're going to have to find some guys, you know, this year, in particular in the draft and, and, and probably a couple of free agents. And, and there might be some guys in offense, might you know, always, always got to help, always got to find, figure out a way to make that offensive line better. That's for dang sure. And, and maybe there's some guys in Rick Dennison's past or Kubiak's past that were let go somewhere else that they think could come here uh, and, and run this offense to a T, and maybe upgrade it a little bit, but aren't, maybe is expensive because they don't fit the mold of other offenses. You know, the the Vikings have the second lightest offensive line in the NFL, San Francisco number one. So maybe they go after and find some guys that, okay, he's a 295-pound guard somewhere else. They want the big lineman. Let's steal him because we think he's a good player, and he'll fit our scheme better.
0: Sage, we got a break, and that means we have to let you go. It went too fast, my friend. It was good to talk Vikings with you once again, at Sage Rosenfels18 on Twitter. Uh, That was fun, man. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. He's Sage Rosenfels, and I'm Sam Ekstrom filling in for Matthew Collar on Purple Daily on ScoreNorth.com. Up next, Judd Zolgad in studio. I've got some Vikings would-you-rathers for Mr. Zolgad. That's next on Purple Daily. Hey, ScoreNorth listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need When you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance It's their business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. One more hour of Vikings talk on Purple Daily, TCL Broadcast Studios. I'm Sam Ekstrom filling in for Matthew Collar. Find my work at zonecoverage.com. Joined by Judd Zulgad. Find his work, com. And esteemed, would you call yourself a columnist at Scornorth.com.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't use esteemed because that seems very self-congratulatory. Right, well, I can say it. Oh, thank you very much. But yes, a columnist is correct. I try and write. In, in fact, I'm doing a column right now on the arrival of uh, Josh Donaldson and his press conference. So... That should be out in an hour or so.
0: If this wasn't a Vikings show, we could just talk for the next hour about where he fits in the Twins lineup because you got limitless options there, my
1: friend. Oh that, yeah, I that's bet you. Be fun. So, but by, by the time that the summer's all said and done, how many different spots do you think he hits in Donaldson? Yeah, because they'll mix it up. But the only question is how much one through one up? through seven.
0: I think Rocco's the kind of guy who if 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 someone's in a two week slump, he's not afraid to bump them. Yep, in the order.
1: Yep, one through seven. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know who who would love Josh Zim would? Oh yeah. Didn't he strike as a personality that, that Zim would be like, come play for my team? I think you're right. <laughs> Who's the? He strikes me as a Zimmer type of of no BS. I take it seriously. When I come to work, I'm working. A football coach would love that guy.
0: I'm trying to think of the correlation between who is the Donaldson on the Vikings. You know, like kind of a Ooh. a free agent. They they don't really have Ooh, a lot a of free one. agents that they bring in. It's a lot of homegrown. Who's guys. the
1: personality type though? Who's who's the who's the most you know really good, really serious?
0: Maybe Rudolph.
1: Yeah. Although Kyle is Kyle seems to me at times to be a little bit too laid back. Josh. From what we saw in the 25-minute press conference today from Josh, I don't know that there is a laid-back year there. Yeah, Griffin maybe, as Declan just said. Griffin seems to be go, 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 go. But I'm trying to think of a personality type that was that's just a guy, because football coaches love those guys. Hockey coaches love those guys.
0: Because as, as, they're captains. As good as a lot of the stalwarts are on the Vikings, a lot of them are pretty laid-back. Harrison Smith, laid-back.
1: Yes. You know. Intense game guy but Eric Hendricks sense. laid back. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, defensively it, it's surprising. Griffin probably not laid back. Um Hunter laid, Hunter laid back. Hunter laid back? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cuz I'm trying to think of cuz Josh strikes me as the type of guy who is Josh was playing on the Vikings offense. And something went wrong for Kirk that he would tell Kirk in no uncertain terms, do better next down. Maybe a Riley Reef offensive line That's kind of mentality. Now you're getting closer. Yeah. I, I like the O-line. Yeah, because those guys are no-nonsense, they're intelligent, but they've got a gear that, yeah, you know what? Reef might might be a good comp, a guy like that. Now, Reef is not that good in his job no. as Donaldson is, but I do think that there's a certain no-BS factor.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Boys, I mean boys were here to work. Reef would be like bringer of pain, and the pain is being experienced by the quarterback who just got <laughs> sacked.
1: <laughs> that's that's but, the wrong thing. Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: Uh let's let's go do some Vikings over unders, shall we? Sure. I, I've got five of them here. Uh hopefully they lead to some lively debates. Would you rather sign Anthony Harris mm-hmm. to an extension mm-hmm. or sign an above average left guard? and lose Harris.
1: You know what? This is actually, this could bring about a debate, but it's an easy answer for for me. And we've been talking about this, Sam, on Ventline for a couple weeks now, just as far as the Anthony Harris conundrum. I would sign the above average left guard off the market in a second. I do not think that it is a realistic ask for Zim to go to Spielman and company and tell them, I want both safeties. Now I'll give them one of them. I'll give them, you can have, 30-year-old Harrison Smith, who you love and who is a great player. He might be a little bit declining, but he's still a great player, right? Yeah. And Anthony Harris, who you have developed, love him too. Another smart kid, 28. So he's not super young, but he's not as old as Harrison Smith. But you only get one. So to me, the the would I rather is very simple. It's going to be the offensive lineman who can block interior pressure. I agree with you. I
0: think it'd be painful to lose Harris just because he's entering his prime. Not a lot of mileage there. You raised him from a UDFA to what he is now, which is arguably one of the best safeties in football. But I think, too, when you look at the guard market, you've got good guards out there. Brandon Sheriff knows Cousins. He's got that Cousins connection. Vikings love sort of those colloquial... Uh, connections. Joe Thune might be the best guard on the market from the Patriots system. Mm -hmm. Same same as Josh Klein was, and Klein had a pretty good year. Uh, Graham Glasgow from Detroit. Vikings are very familiar with him. He had a pretty nice season. I look at Anthony Harris what he's done the last two years. He's done great things, but did it change the defense? I I don't know if it did. I don't know if it... It it certainly is good to have two safeties that secure on the back end, but they were pretty good with Andrew Sandejo back there too, mm-hmm. right? And I think you'd rather invest in the defensive line and the cornerback positions. I just think safety is probably the third or fourth most important area on the defense, whereas interior pressure on Cousins is one of the
1: biggest problems this team faces. And I can't pay both guys. I just can't do it. I can't I can't be disintegrating like I am, Sam, mm-hmm. at the corners, right? My corners are I don't know who. <laughs> At this point. Right. Because I'm assuming Rhodes gets cut. I'm assuming Wayne's gets paid elsewhere. I don't pay him. Uh, Alexander, I'm assuming, might want to leave, okay? Yeah. So I can't in good conscience say, all right, my corners are disintegrating around me, basically. My interior line desperately needs help in at least both guard spots if possible. And I'm going to have two top paid safeties? And safeties, I want one really good one, so don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing the the importance, but part of my problem that I can't judge now, but I fear is happening here, is I think the Vikings, from the coaching staff to Spielman as well, misjudge and misappropriate cash positionally. Like yeah, Dalvin uh, Cook. Like You can't sign Dalvin Cook to a huge contract. No, and, and they and might safeties. fall into that trap.
0: Defensive tackle, too. I mean, nose tackle. If you look at the way a lot of teams structure it, they just get a really big guy and they pay him $2 million. And Linval, when he signed that second contract, mm-hmm. that put him in probably to the overpaid category. Know what I mean? Exactly. Um, follow-up question. So if you're picking safeties, who would you rather have for the next five years? <laughs> Harrison or Harris.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say something very unpopular based on age. Here's the thing. I go Belichickian every time, which is Harrison Smith, you are a Hall of Famer. And I love you as a player. And you've done me right at every turn. And you are an unbelievable asset. And I want you to take all of that. And if you need another coach to call me, I will give you the greatest character reference of all time. But I'm cutting you before you decline. I'm keeping Harris. I'm keeping Harris, and there's a two-year age gap there, which in football is is akin to what, five years? Dog years, right? Dog years, for sure. Okay. So, but what is the Belichick? The Belichick code is, I think, it's I'm cutting you right before you decline. In Belichick's world, Xavier Rhodes almost certainly is cut right after 2018, Right. So my choice right now is one of those two. I'm cutting the older player. It's tough. I don't like it, but I have to, and and it also goes along the Patriots theme of and the Vikings a year ago. Sam did not do this. When Anthony Barr walks out of my building to go and see the Jets, I tell him, "You're never coming back." I think like, it, once you leave me, that money is going elsewhere. And I think I
0: agree with you. For the most part, the only thing that gives me pause is that Harrison Smith, I think, has a different skill set than Harris and that Harris is more of a reactionary player when the ball is in the air, when okay. when the play is happening. Harrison Smith is an improviser before the play mm-hmm. happens, and he's a threat to blitz. Harris is not really. So there are different things they're doing pre-snap. I think Harris is phenomenal when the play is going on. He just has this sixth sense. He's really smart. That's how he picks off Aaron Rodgers yep. and, uh, and Drew Brees and Russell Wilson. He, ju- he just knows where the ball is going to go. But I still think you're right. I think you take five more years. Do you to think Harris. I'm right?
1: Because I'm not, I'm not positive. I'm just going with what I, I really believe that loyalty has gotten the Vikings in a pickle right now. Well, I told and Sage. So I'm, d- I'm, done being, I'm done with that.
0: I told Sage in the previous segment that I'm nervous that they're going to be too loyal again this offseason and work their hardest to restructure, you know, Linval and Xavier when it'd be better just to have a clean cut
1: and move forward. You can't do that, can you? Xavier has to be gone. Xavier, right? ha-
0: I-, I think he has to
1: be Linval, gone. Linval, I think I can stomach a restructure. Griffin, you have to allow to walk. His contract voided. You have to let him fourteen million. million unless he wants cap. to, unless he wants to come back for nothing, which he won't. Griffin has to be allowed to walk, and Rhodes has to be cut. Linval, I would personally cut. But if you if you pick one of those guys to restructure, and I got him way down now, I'm talking big pay cut. Joseph, I talked to about that,
0: and I th- I think Joseph plays a position where. You can probably make up the difference in aggregate. I think if you get a rotation going on the interior and then get a really good three-tech next to next to your nose
1: tackle. Can you find I, that guy? A big Danny Shelton, maybe? Yeah. Um, you know, Armand Watts. They definitely missed that guy this year, right? The, the, yeah. The, the interior of the Vikings line was not bad, but I didn't feel like it made a difference.
0: How telling is it that
1: they had defensive ends playing on the inside on passing downs. Well, and I actually like that as part of the league now. I think it's smart. But you just saw the best teams, and the best teams now have athletic guys inside who get pressure. When I started to cover this league in 2003, the right end was a threat. He was your pass rush specialist. The left end was called the base end. And he was basically there to help stop the run. And the interior guys, I loved them, but they were fat guys. And, okay, they might be athletic to a certain degree, but you never expected consistent pressure. Now, now the best teams basically have four guys who can all move. It's a different world. No,
0: the game's getting faster, more athletic, and the Vikings, I think, were ahead of the curve there for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I looked, though, at interior pressure just from true defensive tackles. Last year, I think they had 33 pressures from Joseph, Stefan, Jaleel Johnson, etc., year before, with Sheldon in the mix, uh, a, a younger Joseph, and maybe a healthier one, I don't know for sure. He's been banged up the last two years. 96 interior pressures, almost three times wow. the number in 2018. And I think Sheldon Richardson made a huge difference. Agreed. Uh, we spent a long time on the safety question. I'm going to skip around here. Would you rather see major improvement from Garrett Bradbury or Mike Hughes in 2020? Oh, that's
1: a loaded question. I'll answer it first. Yeah, go, go all ahead. Right.
0: My initial reaction was Bradbury, right? Because we've talked about how interior pressure was killing Kirk Cousins. He's Absolutely. not mobile enough to get outside. But then my second thought is, okay, he's got a guard on either side of him, mm-hmm. got a fullback behind him in many cases. I, Mike Hughes is all alone, right? I mean, and we've seen how damaging a bad corner can be with Xavier Rhodes last year. And
1: we're assuming he's going to start at an outside corner. With, With this question, correct?
0: Yeah, let's assume He has to. Because you don't know if they're getting any of the three corners back yeah. from last year. Let's assume Mike Hughes is going to have to be elevated. And I think we also have to take for granted that his neck is okay because he had a broken vertebrae, which uh, Mike Zimmer assured uh, will will heal, quote-unquote. But I think when you've got a cornerback on an island, and, yep. and we saw that Hughes could be susceptible yep. this this past year, I think I want Hughes... To, to develop more, and then just hope that Bradbury's
1: limitations can be masked by your guard play and your, your protectors. not be, being thrown back into Cousins? Because that concerned me at times when guys would pick him up and toss him like a rag doll. But I got to think you, you're right, and especially in a scenario under which we're talking, that Hughes is going to have to start at an outside corner. Let's say one of those safeties is gone. Secondary-wise, if he doesn't take a step up and play really well you're in huge trouble. Now, I want to see Bradbury improve, but you're right. If you improve your guards enough around him, that could give him an infrastructure where it's not going to crack down. So, yeah. I mean, they're two first-round picks. He was, I'm just flat-out now concerned about his health, too. Yeah. Because we've got the knee in year one. Now, as you just said, a vertebrae, which is nothing to scoff at or That's joke scary. about. That's very scary. So, yeah, you know... I hate that question because it's so double-edged there, but I would take Hughes as well because if Hughes comes out opening day next year and starts getting beat, you are in a world of potential trouble.
0: Bradbury had the same issue Elfline had as a rookie. He was too weak against strong defensive tackle play, and he had some very low moments. There, there were two or three games right where his PFF grade was zero or close to zero. Yep. If you eliminate the low moments, he's much closer to the middle, if you just filter those out and look at the stats. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that he puts on weight, sort of like Brian O'Neal did in his first full off season as a pro, and, and then comes back stronger. But I think you, you need the technique of Hughes to improve. You need Hughes to be that shutdown guy. You need him to be better than Xavier was for sure last year. It, it's an absolute necessity. Um, would you rather have Xavier Rhodes as a starting corner next year
1: or Shamar Steffen as your starting three technique? Shamar Stefan. I, I think Rhodes is done. I just think it's done. And I don't think there's any... Shamar Stefan, I think, probably is who he is at this point. And I don't think he's a train wreck. I don't think he's great, but he's not a train wreck. But Rhodes has... Rhodes stayed one year way too long, and this was awful. And I can't watch that. It's, you know... And I feel... I feel compassion for him because he was so great at one time. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a top 5 corner in this league. He he had developed himself into a all-pro Pro Bowl dominant player. 2017 was incredible. But that's not close. I can't if I'm the Vikings I can't bring Rhodes back. I can't watch that and I don't think he's going to go to a team and bounce back. I don't think that there's a system now that's going to magically solve his problems. I think he is an old, what, 29? 29, 29. Okay, I just, I think the wear and the tear and all of those things have taken their toll. Rhodes was a liability. Stefan was more of a net
0: neutral. I think this is a good opportunity well to, I like to, to introduce, neutral. I want to introduce a new segment. It's called uh, Xavier Rhodes Pro Bowl Moments. Pro Bowler Xavier Rhodes. This is in honor of yesterday's Morning Judd. Uh, Jonathan, do we have that? Xavier Rhodes Pro Bowl Moments, number one. and a goal deep, wide open, and into the hands of David
2: Moore. Take a bow after a 60-yard touchdown. That's what 29 Xavier Rhodes, he, he looks as if he's looking for help. He's looking back, looking at the quarterback, and allows Moore just to run right by
0: him. Xavier Rhodes, Pro Bowl moments in honor of the Pro Bowler, Xavier Rhodes. <laughs> one of eight Vikings in the game. We'll have
1: another one of those next I, segments. I still can't. I talked about it extensively yesterday, but I still can't get past that one. Yeah. Well, we can move you know, past Kirk Cousins it. fine, right? You know, Kirk Cousins. yeah, Statistically, Deserving. heck of a year, Kirk. Xavier Rhodes. One of these things is not
0: like the other in that list of five guys yesterday. Yes, sir. All right. Would you rather trade your next two first-round picks and get Tua Tagovailoa, but you miss the playoffs next year? But you've got Tua. Or, keep Cousins in the final year of his deal, play out the string, you don't add another quarterback, and you win at least one playoff game. Maybe more, but
1: at least one. Oh, I want door A in a heartbeat. I will miss the playoffs, I get to develop my quarterback, I get to move on. Um, Because door B, by the way, is conceivable, But it's where this team has been for how long? It's purgatory. It's purgatory, and you have to find, at some point with where this league is trending, you have to find that quarterback. And if I can trade two first-round picks, and and assuming the medicals on Tua's hip come back just fine, and now I've got my quarterback of the future, who, by the way, can redshirt for me in 2020, because Kirk's going to play. That's why I like that plan. And I'm fine with it, and I finally, and and oh, by the way, he redshirts for me in 2020. Then he starts for me in 2021. And I've, and because I got him in the first round, I still have four years left. Three of them are dirt cheap because the first four years are dirt cheap. And year five is not necessarily cheap, but that option is nowhere near what I have to pay a veteran quarterback. If you give me that scenario, I will take it in a heartbeat.
0: And in that scenario, you have a plan in place. Whereas if you, play out the string with Kirk, and you don't know what the future holds, which, as you mentioned, is entirely conceivable, then you're in a 2018 situation all over again where, okay, our quarterback's a free agent. There's not going to be another Kirk Cousins waiting for them to sign. I mean, that's just not going to happen. That's absolutely correct. They wouldn't have the money to rescue themselves from that situation. So to have a plan for the future and have the potential to maximize your ceiling, right? I think that we know what Kirk's ceiling is. Things have to be perfect around him. With Tua, might be a a low floor. I mean, who knows? These guys bust all the time, but also to maximize your potential. Uh, Let's break. Let's talk more Vikings after this break. I'm going to paint an optimistic view for the Vikings next season. A lot of this show has been negative. I'm going to lay out exactly how things could be all right for Minnesota in 2020, and I'll finish up by giving you my favorite Super Bowl prop bet. Oh, and more Xavier Rhodes Pro Bowl moments. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll get you back to more Vikings talk on Purple Daily with Sam Ekstrom and Judd Zellgeid in just a moment. But first, Romstein is live at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday, August 30th. Tickets are on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. at romstein.com. Download the Score North app now for your chance to win tickets to the show. If you missed it earlier in the sh- earlier in the hour, well at the 2 o'clock hour, we broadcast the Josh Donaldson press conference as the Twins introduced their new third baseman. And here's what he had to say about what it means to him to sign a new big money multi-year contract. I, that's all I've known is one-year deals. This is the first time, really, I've had an opportunity to sign a long-term contract. And it, it makes it very that much more special for me that, that this organization uh, believes believes in me and wants wants to be a part of me and, and wants me to be a part of their organization for as many years as they've signed me up for. So as well as it took confidence to do that, it's taken, you know, confidence in, in this organization to to believe in me and um that's something that I do not take lightly. That's been your score North Downwell. Now back to Purple Daily. Purple Daily rolls on. Sam Ekstrom in for Collar. Judd Zolgad riding shotgun for the final half hour. I want to get optimistic here, Judd. Is that possible for you to do? I know you're the well, eternal optimist around me. I was going
1: to say, I am Mr. Sunshine. Now, Collar sometimes is not, so it becomes difficult for me to work with Collar. <laughs> Tough to But you know me. It goes... Sid Hartman and then Judd as far as optimistic Twin City sports personalities. The one-two punch. Exactly right. right. All we're saying, all you people who don't believe. That's all i got to say.
0: Well, I'm going to get optimistic with you, and we can be optimistic together. I'm going to give you about five bullet points. Ways the Vikings can be okay in 2020. I think there's a lot of sky is falling narrative right now, and reasonably so. As we've laid out for the previous hour, There's a million reasons to think that things are going to be different in 2020 and not in a good way. So I'm going to tell you how things could be all right for the 2020 Minnesota Vikings. Judd, I want you to give me a ranking of 1 to 10, how likely these things are to happen. Okay. All right, point number one. Kirk Cousins is basically the same statistical quarterback as he was in 2019 with one major difference. All right. He completes at least four, I'm sorry, three... Fourth quarter comebacks. He had one last year against Denver. Missed opportunities against KC, Green Bay, Seattle. I think he needs to complete three of those.
1: Mm. Likelihood. Uh, I'm sorry, scale of 1 to 10, did you say? Yeah. Okay, because the Denver game, they never should have trailed, and that was their own fault. They got out of it, but that was against a bad team at home. It was a complete embarrassment that they were down by that much, and so now you want me to, to take the leap that they have to do it at least three times, which would mean that you complete... Green Bay or something like that two Honestly, two out of one, ten I give you two out of ten that's a lot of fourth quarter comebacks for a guy who I don't have faith can do that three three times a lot he's got one each of the last three
0: years he had four of them in twenty sixteen okay, which I don't even think they made the playoffs that year that was the year they that might he not have been that
1: good that year right
0: they were eight seven and one. I'm assuming that's the year that he choked against the Giants in week seventeen. <laughs>
1: This was supposed to be optimistic. No, I got to say a a two, because that's just a lot. And I really don't credit the Denver one. I mean, yeah, they came back. That's nice. But... We both attended that game. Yeah, that was an embarrassment that they were down by that much. So it wasn't like this hard fought. Oh, you came back against a good team. It was sort of like they just woke up in the second half.
0: That was the the weird outlier. I with that one. It's the one game where Kirk has sort of showed good Kirk and bad Kirk in the same sixty minutes. Usually, it's the same guy for sixty minutes. Yep. If it's bad Kirk in the first quarter, it's bad Kirk in the fourth quarter, like it was against Green Bay. Sure, both times around. Um, okay. So you're are not high on that one.
1: I can't be optimistic <laughs> to start the segment.
0: Point number 2. All right. Dalvin doesn't miss any regular season games due to holdout or injury. Uh regardless of what they do with this contract. Yep. Let's assume he does not miss any games. Likelihood of that happening.
1: Do you want to go first on this one because um I think I'm going di- to I'm going to disappoint again. I'm going
0: to go 5 out of 10. I think it's split because I I think a holdout is possible. I think that precedent has been set by other elite running backs in this league. Now, to that point as well, I don't know if it's worked every time. And now, Jerry Jones, he caved, didn't work in San Diego or Los Angeles, I should say. Sure. So I'm not sure that it would work as a tactic, so maybe he doesn't do that. That being said, he's yet to play 16 healthy games, so what's going to make me believe He'll do that uh, in year four.
1: I will go from a two with the uh, Kirk question to a three, because I I honestly think, just from a starting point, one, I cannot count on Dalvin to play 16 games. I've come to the conclusion that the best that you could probably do is what he did in 2019, which is, what, 14 games in the regular season? Is that correct? And and then a handful where he only played And he's hurt, right, exactly right. But I'm going to go one beyond that and say... It will be highly irresponsible if the Vikings extend Cook with the contract that he's going to want this offseason. But if I was Cook's representatives, it would be highly irresponsible for me to send my client to training camp. I think he has to hold out. I think he absolutely has to. I don't see a way around this from both sides. Because my client has hurt so much, and if I send him into the last year of his contract... I know full well that there's a very good chance that the team is just going to use him as much as they possibly can and at the end of the year say thank you, goodbye. So from both sides, I get this. So I don't see any way, shape, or form that it's responsible for him to be there for training camp. And once he's not there for that, I'm not giving him, if I'm the Vikings, I am not extending him. Like if I've been told he wants a Zeke-like contract. Yes. I can't do that. So from both sides, I see no reason why he's playing day one of training camp, and that could extend to at least close to and or into week one.
0: Let's put it this way. He's not showing up for those voluntary workouts, and that would that'd be surprising. But are you going to extend him under
1: any circumstances? I'm not. I, not, I unless think, it's, not unless it's exactly on my terms.
0: It would be very foolhardy. As I told Sage in the first hour, you don't want to be running back rich and quarterback poor, and if you don't know what your quarterback situation is, what good does it do to have a highly
1: paid running back with no quarterback plan in place. And and the problem, and just to be clear, when Dalvin's healthy, I love him. He's a great player. But he doesn't stay healthy enough for me to trust that. And and to what you said, Sam, and it's exactly right. Okay, so I get 14 games, and then I get three or four more that he's banged up for. So now we're down to, let's say, nine or ten full-health Dalvin games. I'm not going to pay that. That production's not worth what you're, what they're going to ask for.
0: Not when you've got Alexander Madison... Mike Boone, any running back that you take in the draft who can probably step up and be decently effective. And yes, peak Dalvin is very good. Mm -hmm. Probably better than most other running backs. But I think that's just the cost of doing business in this league. There are
1: other other more important positions you have to prioritize. If Dalvin played, if he took that skill set and played cornerback, come back and let's talk.
0: Right. Absolutely right. All right, point number three. We're off to a great start here, Judd. Uh, been, 2020 is just been coming up all so vikings <laughs> uh the offensive line takes an organic step forward whether that's with elf line at left guard or another left guard they bring in via free agency or draft the offensive line takes an organic step forward
1: oh. all right so i'm sorry that's a, a guard they might draft but we're not talking about anybody being signed as far as free agents go and we're talking about Bradbury, obviously back at center.
0: Let's say you've got a league average a volcanic, option at guard.
1: Left guard. Uh, so you've got Klein again or something or a guy like Klein. Sure. Um maybe it's Samia. Yeah, who our callers seem to want right and left. They think he's great. Um I give that a 3 as well. I can't I, I I think that I think the Kubiak system and by the way it was the Kubiak system not the Stefanski system. It was the Kubiak system. It was the Kubfanski system. Yeah, yeah. well Judd. Stefanski did a very nice job of working for Gary. Um, but all of that being said, I can't go down the path of now I think they're going to get great. I think they actually did a very good job, especially in the run defense or in the, in the running game, the Mm -hmm. run blocking of getting a lot from them. So if we're talking about step forward, I say about a three because I think they milked that for basically what that was worth. I think Bradbury might improve. If Elf lines back or he's replaced, I don't think that spot's going to improve a ton. I think Klein is Klein. O'Neal I like, but are they gonna try and move him to left tackle if they get rid of Riley Reef, which if they do, it's a different ballgame for him because that's a different skill set. So I'll say I'll say a two or three again.
0: With O'Neal, I'm not sure he can be better. I mean, he was really good this year, only gave up one sack. I don't know if you can count on Reef being that that good again, just from a pressure st- pressure's allowed standpoint. Do you think Reef was- is a sack? I do okay. I just don't think you can go into Kirk's final year like your final chance with this thirty-one million dollar quarterback. You know, in his in his final season, mm-hmm. without an established left tackle. So, I think Reef proved that he will be back. I don't know if he's going to be as good. Klein is the definition of sort of middle of the road. Like you said, Bradbury probably adds some strength. Probably gets a little bit better, and then left guard is a is a mystery. I could see them being the same. My, my concern would be your defense breaks down. You're pass-blocking
1: more, and that's where that unit struggles. Yes, and then they struggle mightily. Yes, and, and the other problem is if they come back pretty much intact, one of the teams that gave them the most problems, the Packers. And you play them twice. Like if the Packers were in the AFC South, and you had played them once, and it's like, oh boy, glad you don't have to see them again for four years or something, right? But think about that. Both games, the Packers completely threw that line out of kilter. The Packers
0: built up that defense last year, right? And the defense was really good. Now I think they use this 2020 free agency period and the draft. They're going to build that offense up. mean, Rodgers, they won 13 games. And Rodgers didn't really have any weapons in the passing game except for one guy. Yep. All right. Next bullet point. Mm-hmm. You retain Dan Bailey and Britton Colquitt. Just retain, period? You retain. Yeah, you have to, you have to sign them. They're both free agents. Yeah. I think they were a really good oh, combo go, on special
1: I'd, teams. A scale of 1 to 10 with a question, I'd go 8. I mean, 1, I'd do it. I liked them both. And Bailey, for all of Mike's mind games, once the season started, Dan Bailey didn't disintegrate. Like, there's a lot of kickers that would have struggled with. What, what he had to put up with in training camp was, I thought, ridiculous. You know, you want your kicker to be as comfortable as possible, create the environment, Especially a veteran guy like that who you can just basically ignore, right? And for all of this, you know, trading a fifth-round pick for a kicker and playing these games and why. You know, Kai Forbath going back was also fine. He missed a few extra points. But nailed the key field goal in the playoff game against the Saints here. You know, I've never understood drafting a kicker for Mike because Mike can't tolerate them. and And those guys, because they're young kids, freak out. But Dan Bailey was absolutely fine. And to do what they did. And then Cole quit again, another veteran guy. You know, these guys have fooled around with punters and kickers and special teams so much. It's an eight to 10 for me. Bring it back. It was fine. Cole quit had what one bad punt in Kansas City. Yeah. Now that cost, cost you block. that mm-hmm. cost you a little bit or it cost you, but beyond that, I'd bring him back. And by and also Cole quit could hold. He was good at it. And that
0: was maybe the best part of Colquitt, is that he brought stability to that battery. I think the desire is certainly there, as you laid out. I say it's 5 out of 10, though, because how Vikings-like would it be if they finally have a kicker who they think is consistent, right? Had a great year. Such a good year, in fact, that he's actually a hot commodity. There's a kicking epidemic in football right now. You've got these young kickers coming up every which way. They all are head cases. They all struggle. Mm -hmm. Teams are cycling through them like crazy. They're looking for a veteran. If they offer Dan Bailey $4 the Vikings are broke. They can only
1: offer two. Well, bye, Dan. And he might say bye because he's just mad about and he's right to be ticked off. But if I'm the Vikings, I put a priority on trying because those guys... Because Why Rick ever thought that he could draft Micah Kicker in, in Carlson will always amaze me. If Rick Spielman had come to you just privately and been like, hey, I'm thinking about drafting Micah Kicker, what do you think, Sam? Wouldn't you say, it, Rick, really? You're drafting this... 60-plus-year-old football curmudgeon. Because like we can tell, Rick, I'd say Rick, I'll tell you two things. Zim hates two things in life, quarterbacks and kickers. So let's keep this as simple as possible. Yeah, what happened to the last young kicker that uh, that Mike Zimmer was a coach of? Yeah, 27-yarder, wide left. Yeah, And that guy had his own problems before Mike arrived. But I try and run this thing back. And if I don't get them both back, it's veterans all the way. Has to be. I've always said this. If 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 Dan Bailey leaves, bring back Seabass. Get him out of retirement. Because <laughs> Zim would love nothing more than a fat kicker smoking a cigarette at the 50, prepared to nail a 75-yard field goal, and have a chance to do it. Seabass would be the ultimate Mike Zimmer kicker.
0: Except Mike would be like, I don't know, a 53-yard field goal seems kind of long. Let's punt it on fourth and one. <laughs>
1: And you and Collar would both get very upset.
0: Yeah, we would. <laughs> All right, a couple more of these. Uh, the Vikings draft a cornerback mm-hmm. in the first two
1: days of the draft. Who can play week one? Oh, I think. Okay, this is not. This is not what I would do, but I think that is a seven. I think it's a seven or an eight. I think they're going to do it mm-hmm. if the twenty fifth pick overall is a cornerback. I will not be one bit surprised Diggs brothers Trevon Diggs I think and you know what it might make Stefan happy and because clearly he's not happy these days I am I'm almost half expecting and I would not criticize that because of this cornerback to me the corner position strikes me as a first round position. I can find you wide receivers, depth guys who might develop into really good players Stefan Diggs in the draft. I can find you running backs throughout the draft. Have you ever seen teams, and and I know that I I believe Sherman went in the fifth round, so it happens once in a while. I'm not saying it doesn't. Outlier. But have you ever seen teams consistently find really good corners in like the sixth round? I don't think so. And the Vikings for years, with uh, Childress and Spielman for like a three or four year period, they took Josh Robinson, third rounder, I believe. Marcus McCauley, third rounder. Asher Allen, if I'm not mistaken, third round, and they've always thought, oh, these guys, they're high picks, they'll fit in, and they didn't. Rhodes, Waynes, not saying that they were great this year, but they definitely had effective periods. They're first-round picks, so I think it's an eight.
0: Alexander, second round, Hughes, first round. I mean, they have gotten pretty predictable with where they take guys. Yep. So, yeah, I, I have a, uh, I have an eight in terms of them making that move mm-hmm. the question is whether they can play week one and i i think it's probably less than an eight because zimmer likes to to bring these guys along slowly this but is true but are they going to have a choice he doesn't have time right yeah um okay last one on this right. day three of the draft you can find a contributing wide receiver a swing tackle and a developmental corner They're going to have like nine picks because it's Rick.
1: Of course they will, yeah, because he'll trade back. He'll trade back some more. Then then just when they're on the clock, he'll trade back again. So you're saying the odds on a scale of one to ten that they, of that they, happening? They can
0: find those useful pieces day three of the
1: draft. Okay, so I'm sorry, swing a tackle. Swing
0: tackle, contributing wide receiver, and a corner that can provide you depth late in the year.
1: Oh, boy, all three of them? Just on uh, the odds, I'd say about a five. I'd say about a five. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying they can't do it, but it's not a slam dunk. That's a lot to find. Now, I will give Rick this. He does draft some positions pretty well throughout the course of the draft, and once in a while, the trading back and trading back and trading back actually does work out for him. I'll give it a five, which is not impossible, but I'm not fully confident. I
0: think you got to replace Rashad Hill. That's why I have the swing tackle, because I think Rashad might go find another place to play. Uh, that's one of those supplementary expenses I'm not sure you can afford. You need competition for, for the BBs and the BCs on this team. to. I like what you did there. Try to, yeah, alliteration. BBs and the BCs. <laughs> you you, you got to find... I don't think you want to settle for B.C. Johnson. B.C. Johnson was great, mm-hmm. but you can do better. Look at Kendrick Bourne for the San Francisco 49ers. He was great in that divisional game. I uh, would love to have a, a third wide receiver like that. Uh, What's that sound I hear? It's time for another Xavier Rhodes Pro Bowl moment. Jonathan, Xavier Rhodes Pro Bowl moment, number two. They're
1: all going to throw. Deep down the middle, Harris. Got it. Oh, it's
0: it. roads a pro bowler in 2020? Oh, tough year is an understatement. Yeah, yeah. A, a analysis by Troy Aikman. Uh, so the Super Bowl is a big game being played in what ten days now? Yeah. Do, do you get into the prop bets at all? Do you do you like uh, at least analyzing them? Oh yeah, they're great. Uh, yeah, okay, they're fantastic. Yes. Right. Every year I try to pinpoint the first touchdown scorer of the Super Bowl. Okay, because the the odds are great. You've got guys. Pretty notable players coming in at like 30 to 1 or 20 to 1. So there's money to be made there. Okay. I think there's an opportunity for value. So I'm gonna give you my breakdown of the first touchdown score of the Super Bowl and the odds. So here's my logic. Mm-hmm. Kansas City, very slow starting in these playoffs. Houston game, twenty four nothing, Tennessee 17 7. Uh San Francisco, very fast starting team in these playoffs first first drive touchdown against the vikings 27 nothing against green bay okay so let's use that logic and assume that san francisco is your first touchdown score sure okay so kansas city they're probably expecting a lot of run you know stop the run stop the run yep i think san francisco could could pass the ball early scripted portion i think i know where of, you're going of, yes um i think it's going to be a pass that that scores. I don't think it's gonna be a, a Mostert. I don't think it's gonna be Coleman if he plays. I think it's gonna be a pass. Okay. Now who what is the non obvious choice here? Who's the most unlikely person to, to get that pass that Kansas City may not expect? You know who hasn't touched the ball in the playoffs for San Francisco? Fullback Kyle Uzchek. Oh man, you know he, how happy collar would be if the fullback catches a touchdown pass? Collar would be rejoicing. Yes, um, he would Uzchek Okay. has one touchdown catch each of the last three years. It's sort of part of his skill set. He's got eight touchdown catches in his career. He knows how to catch the football. Mm-hmm. He's an athletic fullback. Um, I could see nice little play action fake. use check goes out to block, you know, chips his man into the end zone, a little uh, loft pass to the back of the end zone. Mm-hmm. The odds. 33 to one. Kyle Usechek first touchdown score. That makes sense. Yeah, a hundred dollars to win three thousand three hundred. Is that your pick? Then that's my pick. Kyle
1: Usechek. How about Kittle? I, I think he's only caught like three or four passes in the two playoff games. And if he gets the ball, he's a bull man. Like he could catch the ball at the eight, and he's going to score. And I think but he's probably not. But his odds are probably much smaller than that. I want to say they were like twelve to one. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think. Uh, The most obvious ones.
1: I like the fullback. The neck roll, though. That's great.
0: Last year, went with Cordero Patterson for the Patriots, right? And I think he was about 20 to 25 to 1. And the whole game was almost over before that bet got paid off, right? Because it was 3 to 3. It was 6 to 3. No one scored a touchdown until the fourth quarter. So you sat there for three and a half quarters waiting for for Patterson to to get one of those bubble screens. But uh, I also like Kendrick Bourne, 20 to 1. I don't like any of the Chiefs because all the odds are terrible. Tyreek Hill, three to one. Yeah, we'll have uh, fun then. Yeah, Sammy Watkins, Mahomes five to one. Is
1: probably high odds to score that touchdown.
0: Oh yeah, with with his legs yeah. for sure, for sure. Uh, for MVP in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. never take the quarterbacks. That's boring. Mahomes is like one to one. Yeah, Garoppolo is like two and a half to one. You yep. got to go with you got to go with a skill player. Um, I don't think you can take any of the Kansas City wide receivers because every time that they catch a touchdown Mahomes is also throwing it. Okay. And Mahomes w- would win that bet. So I think you have to go with a running back, someone who could make a sort of a surprise impact on that game. I'm going to go with Damian Williams. I mean, if if the Chiefs passing game for some reason got shut down, mm-hmm. you can get Damian Williams at 19 to 1. I would go
1: with that. Who's going to potentially spy Mahomes? That is a great question. Like, who would be uh, in charge of? Because Warner? If that, Fred Warner? Because if San Francisco won and that guy did a great job and, like, picked him off once or something weird, and those defensive and, players. And that would be a
0: huge long shot. Those are rich propositions. I think Sherman is like 50 to 1.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I'm thinking of if, because there's going to be a huge emphasis, right? Mm-hmm. On who is on, who basically is in charge of trying to contain Patrick Mahomes. That's going to be a huge storyline. Well, Bobby Wagner was the MVP in the Seahawks Broncos Super
0: Bowl. Correct? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think I, you're right. I think it was Bobby Wagner. Okay. So there is. I'm giving you a real long shot there. There is some precedent. No, if you can find find the odds on like Quan Alexander or Fred Warner. Yep. That's you know what? That's probably in the
1: other category. That's take a, it, take, take the field. Trying to make you rich. Take the field. Judd, this has been fun, man. Yeah, it's been. Fantastic! It's been a great time. It's been a
0: really good time. I mean,
1: I'm sorry that the trying to to look ahead to the positives of the 2020 Vikings was didn't pay off a little bit more, but I think nothing I can do about that. If
0: you punch all of your numbers into a calculator, I think it spits out five and eleven. That's what it spit out.
1: Oh boy! I will say this: I have not looked forward to a Viking off season this much in years.
0: It's going to be be so interesting. interesting. The the free agency in March leading into the draft. Uh, this is sort of a restart. This is a, a, almost, it's not a rebuild yet. The Vikings haven't really gone to that point yet, but right. we might get there. Thanks, All man. Right, Judd. Was fun. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami. After this, they're going to have Thad Levine talking about the Josh Donaldson acquisition. His press conference was today. My name's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Follow my work on the Vikings at zonecoverage.com. Jonathan Harrison produced the show, did a fantastic job. Caller out tomorrow, a sub in for him. Same with Friday. Uh, I'm out. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening.